In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. My name is Father Matt. I'm one of the rectors here at the table with Spencer and Ben. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to see faces, to look into each other's eyes, and to hear good news. We proclaim good news, and then we respond together through prayer, confession, Eucharist, singing, giving, uh, and um, <laughs> playing with Spider-Man. Today, our proclamation primarily comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, the weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. You sin against Christ if you sin against your brothers and sisters and hurt their weak conscience this way. This is why if food causes the downfall of my brother or sister, I won't eat meat ever again. Or else I may cause my brother or sister to fall. Today, friends, we proclaim the good news that we are a community known and loved by God. The table, we are. Individual rights, freedoms, true ideas. In Christ, we are called to offer them to build each other up in love because this is how Christ loved us. Today, church, let us choose the love that builds up, not the knowledge that destroys. Paul is writing a church in Corinth that's got all kinds of issues. And in this chapter, chapter 8, through basically uh, the end of, of the uh, epistle, but primarily through chapter 14, Paul is talking about things that are dividing the church and things that they've written him about. So he's responding to a letter as he writes this letter. Uh, the situation is some Christians in Corinth are eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols or false gods, and they didn't see anything wrong with it, but others did. Some of those others thought eating meat or food sacrificed to idols was a participation in the evil of that idol. It made you, con it made you culpable and complicit in that evil and the, uh, the wrongness of that idol. Now, there's probably wealth and status at work here because meat sacrificed to idols was super expensive. And uh, Paul later in this epistle talks about how wealth is creating divisions uh, when it comes to the Lord's Supper. So it seems like it's, this isn't just sort of principled sort of theology. It seems like there's divisions based upon wealth and status because some of the people who don't eat meat sacrificed to idols can't afford it. They just simply can't buy it. Just a little bit of background before, I'm, I'm going to talk about the implications of this a lot today, and I encourage you to reflect on it with me, and even if you want to throw things that occur to you in the chat, go for it. We're going to pray through it afterwards as response. But notice that <clears throat> Paul acknowledges there are many gods and lords. Um, this is something we haven't talked a lot about because it kind of freaks sort of uh, 21st century materialistic, natural, scientific Westerners out. But Paul understands the cosmos to be ruled by gods. I know, I know you've been told that uh, Christianity is monotheistic, and it's true. Don't tell my bishop I'm talking about, you know, rival gods to uh, 
the, the God Jesus reveals. But there were other gods, lesser gods. We know them as angels and demons, but the Old Testament refers to them as lesser gods. That uh, there's a tradition that that in in Judaism that Paul's trading on here, that that uh, the God of the Jews gave dominion and authority to these other rulers and principalities and dominions to govern the nations. And they blew it. They really jacked up. They got super screwed up, and now they're in rebellion. And a lot of people linked those rebellious under underlords, authorities of of God, and um, and these these idols that were being sacrificed to. And Paul basically says uh, those those uh, those underlords have been put in subjection under God. Part of what Christ does in his death and resurrection is he brings all the rival and rebellious powers under the authority of God. So uh, there's, there's this knowledge Paul has that these rebellious powers have been defeated, so it's no big deal to eat their meat. He also says they don't exist, uh, and so he's trading on like two different understandings of how it really isn't a big deal because these, these powers are now uh, in subjection to God, and, uh, you know, Zeus never existed anyway, for instance. But some don't get that, verses 7 and 8, and they think, uh, they think that to eat this meat is they're in uh, subjection to rebellious gods, and so their conscience is, like, scandalized, and they uh, are having a really hard time with this. What does Paul say to do? How does he reason what assumptions does he have that confront and challenge us today about how to adjudicate an issue in a local church? Well, once again, we hear this all the time in this season of Epiphany, where Christ is revealing, we're beholding and becoming the, the light of Christ. There's issues of freedom, rights, issues of the individual versus what's best for the community, and right and wrong. And Paul says, and we proclaim today that the church is a community who is known and loved by God. So our individual rights, our freedoms, special special pieces of true ideas and knowledge that we have, in Christ we're called to offer them to build each other up in unity and love. This is how Christ loved us. So today, church, let us choose the love that builds up, not the knowledge that destroys. I'm just going to draw some implications from this text that I think challenge us. The first is, notice that Paul says we can know the right things in the wrong way. Paul says we can know the right things in the wrong way if it doesn't lead us to love our neighbor. Knowing true things that doesn't lead us to love our neighbor destroys people. The truth can be weaponized and used to hurt people, Paul says. Um, friends, this is a particular problem in my life. I enjoy being clever. I like knowing all the things, all the things. I listen to lots of podcasts and read lots of books, and I enjoy learning a lot. Uh, I say this as a confession, not as a boast. 
And I enjoy making jokes. So I enjoy humor. I like to make myself laugh. Just ask my wife. And uh, this often becomes an opportunity for other people to be hurt. I would say sometimes without even my knowledge. And I would also say often it's unintentional. And to my own chagrin, sometimes it's been maybe intentional. Like I've been upset or hurt. And so I've lashed out with words or humor. Paul has a corrective to me and maybe to those of us who uh, are have a proclivity for that same kind of behavior. That um, knowledge about something, these are the first few verses, is less important than being known by God. <laughs> and he equates loving God, God's love, with being known by God. So being known by God and loving God is superior than any knowledge about any true thing we have. So then we see the second implication here is that the knowledge Paul advocates. Notice that Paul actually says he calls some people strong and some people weak. He actually puts his cards on the table. Yeah, this meat is not really wrong to eat. But notice, Paul doesn't put his stake in the ground in some like super long expository explanation. Paul puts his stake in the ground for, uh, for a knowledge that's primarily relational and experiential. He says, uh, we want to know as we are known. We want to know in love rather than just know about. This is also challenging, I think, for us because we've been taught that knowledge is about uh, a discrete um, discipline of scientific or rational analysis, right? Um, that, we, that we can like know things out there. But Paul's using the word know in a much more Hebraic, Semitic way. That is an experiential, relational knowing. And he uses the word love to describe it. Church, we are a community known and loved by God. So our individual rights and freedoms, all the good, juicy bits of things we know, in Christ we're called to offer them to build each other up in unity and love. This is how Christ has loved us. Let us, church, choose the love that builds up, not the knowledge that destroys. So being right, third implication, being right at the expense of other people isn't Christian. <laughs> Let me say it again. Being right at the expense of other people isn't Christian. We're not called to be right. We're called to love. It's hard if you enjoy being clever and funny. It's really hard. We don't, fourth implication, we don't proclaim a faith that's centered on the right, specific kind of precious knowledge and ideas. Now, this could be really challenging for some of us. Could be, you could be totally off the rails at this point. Paul's, Paul's less concerned about adjudicating the truthfulness of meat sacrificed to idols, then he is, will you love each other the way Christ has loved you?
Can I say something just between us? I know it's going to be recorded, but I just want, we are, friends, we are a people of love. One of the temptations of naming ourselves or talking about ourselves as a people of the book is that it becomes all about ideas to argue about. What saves you, brothers and sisters, isn't the accuracy with which you can regurgitate specific facts about how the cross works in your life. I'm sorry if I'm the first person to tell you this. <laughs> That's not what saves you. What saves you is that Jesus died and that he loves you. And you can surrender to that love right now. Right now. How? Well, friends, <laughs> that's the good news. We are community, <clears throat> known and loved by God. And so our individual rights and freedoms and all our specific argumentations about minutia of meat sacrifice to idols, etc., we're called to offer them to build each other up. Our rights and our freedoms, our liberties, we're all called to offer them to build each other up in unity and love because Christ offered his rights and freedoms in love to birth a church. Let us choose the love that builds up, friends, today, not the knowledge that destroys. So a few more implications, and then I want us to respond. The first is we honor people who love a lot here. It's so easy when we have a sermon kind of at the center of our worship time to fall in love with, you know, sweet-talking, curly-haired or bald pastors uh, who, who sound really intelligent. It's, we love it. And, and Corinth was like that, too. They had a celebrity culture full of street preachers. Apollos and Paul, Cephas, they love that. Friends, that's not Christian enough. <laughs> We honor people who love well, not just who sound good. Paul emphasized another implication. He emphasized we over me. He emphasized the collective over the individual. This is rough for two reasons. One, if you're a Western Christian, you're probably individualistic. It's just our lot in the world. And two, the call to be up to be to think collectively, to think about the we that's been used to hurt people and exploit them and abuse them to violate them. So this is tough for two reasons. We're set up to be individualists, and that call to the collective has been used to hurt people. But that's how Paul thinks here. Uh, Bruce Waltke, who's an Old Testament, uh, Old Testament scholar, says this, the righteous are willing, in Paul's logic, to disadvantage themselves to advantage the community. The wicked are willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. That's the logic of, of a collectivist mindset, and that's Paul's logic he's trading on here, and it's completely foreign to us. Another implication, and there's a lot. I'm, just, I'm trying to move fast. Paul, we live in a world that says knowledge is power. You've probably heard knowledge is power. When I was a kid, uh, and it's now a meme, uh, there'd be like some uh, public service announcement, and then there was like a shooting star with a rainbow, and the and the tagline says, "The more you know." Do you guys remember that? The more you know. We live in a knowledge is power world, but Paul reorients this because he says, "What is power? Well, it's love." <laughs> and how do we bear it? 
If knowledge is power, we use it to do right for ourselves. We, all, we puff ourselves up, Paul says, and that destroys other people. But if love is power, we use it to, right, to do right by others. We build others up. Okay, so what does this mean then for us? Because we, we aren't having a big kerfuffle over meat sacrifice to idols. Sorry if that's if you're dealing with that. I don't mean to be dismissive. But I would be surprised if you were. What are the things that trip us up, that make us divided? I think it's really tricky to move from meat sacrifice to idols to how we operate today. And that is for a few reasons. One, if there's a disagreement in the church, if you're like me, and I know I am, you're usually thinking of yourself as the strong conscience and somebody else as the weak. At another church one time, I remember um, a parishioner, a person in my congregation came to me. Y'all, I love Jesus, but I curse a little. And uh, I said a curse word in a sermon. And this guy came to me and sat down, and he was totally scandalized by it. And I remember thinking in my mind, I'm free. I'm free to say, gosh darn, if I need to say gosh darn, right? I can, I'm free to do this. And I thought of myself as having a stronger conscience. But as this guy shared with me, he thought I was the weaker brother because of how uh, salty and sassy my language was. I want to just say, I think this is usually what happens when we have disagreements. Each side thinks that they have the stronger, they're the stronger righteous conscience. So there needs to be a humility about this. I could be the weaker conscience here. So where does, how does this show up? I mean, maybe you're thinking of something right now where this shows up. Uh, let me just mention a few. Uh, I mentioned, I mentioned uh, language, but let me mention three others that we've had to encounter at the table. The first is um, alcohol. There are people that have an awful relationship to alcohol in our church. And then there's people that don't. And what does it mean for me as someone who partakes of alcohol to care for people with an awful relationship with alcohol, right? Do I proclaim my rights and freedoms? Tell them to get over it. Wear a blindfold if it bothers you. <laughs> you know, what does it mean? Second is um, keeping the Old Testament law. Friends, we've had families come to our church who keep Old Testament law in our church and their, and their families. Uh, most of us don't. What do we do with that? Those varying convictions. Third, and this is more of a, like a, a thing happening in our culture, um, there inexplicably to me, there is uh, this huge division within the Christian community about the righteousness and justice of wearing a mask during a pandemic. And people who wear masks thinks that, think that those who don't are weak. And those who don't wear masks think that the people who are wearing them are sheeple, brainwashed robots. What do we do with that? How do we adjudicate that? How do we disagree in love rather than martial arguments? Now, let me just say one more thing while this is tricky. We've talked about this. In Lent, we're going to talk about racism. It's February is Black History Month. It's also uh, beginning of Lent. And 
Uh, it's something that Ben and Spencer and I and others and our leadership, we've talked a lot about things like whiteness and white supremacy, but we've never given a space for people to go, well, I don't think it's a big deal. Or I think this is awful. I had a conversation this week with a friend who was like, man, you talk about whiteness all the time. And I'm just concerned we're just going to become racist against white people. Like we need to have those conversations. We need to create space. But I, want, I just want to say, I think that racism is something different than me being sacrificed to idols. Racism is more closely aligned with, with how Paul sees Gentiles and Jews being united in the church. So one of the things we need to talk about is, what are disagreements that are Christian conviction disagreements? And then what are disagreements that are about justice? <laughs> Those are different categories for Paul. He has no problem standing up and calling Peter out in front of everybody when it's a justice issue. But he also is way more circumspect and humble when it comes to meat sacrifice to idols. And I would like for us as a community to wrestle with, why is that? And how do we take our cues from how Paul reasoned morally in these situations? Church, we are a community, the table, who's been, our, our whole existence is that we are known by God and loved by him. That's how we exist. And so our individual rights and freedoms, our particular uh, convictions about different areas of knowledge we specialize in, in Christ we're called to offer them, to build each other up in love. This is how Christ loved us. Today, church, let us choose the love that builds up, not the knowledge that destroys. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.